Welcome to Intentional Balk. I'm Lou Landers. Find me on Twitter at Landers Talks. Find all my baseball content at drrodo.com. Joined here by my co-host on Intentional Balk, it's Mark Mancini. Mark, it's great to be back for season two. Let everyone know where they can find all your work. Well, it's a pleasure, man. This is a show that's sweeping the country. I'm so blessed to be part of it the second year in a row. XM Sirius uh, Sports Byline on Fridays, Philadelphia's WWDB, AM860 Talk on Thursdays, the Pittsburgh Pirate Podcast with uh, first base coach Derek Brock, Mondays and Fridays. Uh, I'm in all over the place like you, brother. Miami, Tampa, Detroit, going into Milwaukee. Man, oh man, you and I are sweeping the bar here. Yeah, absolutely, man. And it's great, as you said, exciting to be back. And I want to start with something that's kind of funny to me, probably a little embarrassing for you, which makes it funny for me, of course. Your Pittsburgh Pirates allowing 18 runs yesterday against the St. Louis Cardinals. How do you feel about that? Well, eight times this year they've given up six or more runs. I know we got hammered in Chicago earlier in the year. I think it was 21 nothing, and the Chicago faithful were giving me a hard time. I just had to remind them of 1975 when we beat them 22 nothing, and I think Rennie Stennett went 7 for 7. Um, God rest his soul uh, in heaven. But, yeah, we've, we, we've, we've had a tough go of it, 16 and 24 on the year, nine back of the Brewers. Uh, the Redbirds, you know, it was a tough series in Pittsburgh. We were hit, you know, for breaking it open on Friday. You know, a tough loss on Saturday. And then we get, you know, uh, hammered yesterday, 18 to 4. But we've shown that we can be resilient when we lose like this. We come right back the following day and uh, we bounce back. I'm looking for a nice three game series to start that we rock the rock pile here in Pittsburgh before we head to San Diego and LA before we come back home and play Arizona. So we're going to get to know the National League West real good in the next two weeks. Yeah, I, uh, I'm glad you're optimistic and positive about your team. I'm sure they'll be good soon. Uh, but as of right now, not so good. But we can't say that about the Cardinals. They look very good. And not just from their big win yesterday with the 18 runs, but getting big boosts from some prospects, Yepes and Brendan Donovan, and now Nolan Gorman getting called up. This looks like a really good Cardinals team, kind of picking up from where they ended last year on such a high note. Uh, even without their ace and Jack Flaherty, this Cardinals team is very good, and I'm excited to see this central play out between them and the Brewers, because it's going to be a really good race between those two teams, really, from now until the end of the season. It really is a two-team race and it's not I'm not trying to knock the Cubbies or the Pirates or the Reds they just aren't even close in terms of talent and success that the Brewers and Cardinals have and are going to have for the remainder of the season well St. Louis is going into Pittsburgh beat them 23 of 27 in their last 27 games there uh Pools has hit 32 home runs most by any opponent in PNC Park and Adam Wainwright is 10-0 against the Pirates. So uh, when you look at this team, yeah, they dominated Pittsburgh, and they, you know, they, they, they have been for quite a while. But you're right. The Brewers and Cardinals are on a collision course. Brewers got some nice front-line pitching and a nice bullpen. But I think you know the depth of the Cardinals, and they just keep bringing up guys left and right. I mean, this is a team that's going to be dangerous down the stretch. You know, everybody looks at the Dodgers and Mets. The Mets have lost a couple 
Uh, Horace is here for, you know, quite a while. And DeGrom, he hasn't picked up a ball in over a year. Scherzer's out for, you know, two months. And, and, and everybody talks about what the Dodgers have done. But, you know, keep your eye on, on, on three teams in the National League here, the Brewers, the Cardinals, and the Padres, because these, these three teams can overtake the Dodgers and the Mets come August and September. Yeah, all three of those teams, certainly great opportunity to make the playoffs, especially now with the sixth team added. No more wildcard game, which is great as well. I expect all three of those teams you mentioned to be in. One of the Cardinals, the Brewers, clearly through the division. And yeah, Padres, I mean, once they get Tatis back, especially if they keep hanging tight, uh, they're going to make a real push for that division against the Dodgers. And the Giants, despite not looking great on paper, are also quite competitive too. Uh, they're a team that could certainly make the postseason definitely interested though you brought up the Mets and who they don't have now interested to see if they can hold on in that NL East because the Braves will come at some point you know the Braves are going to turn it on and come at them uh Phillies they have their own issues with their bullpen and some back-end pitching we know the Marlins don't have enough offense we know the Nationals stink so um that's Mets or Braves right now it's clearly Mets but the door is opened for the Atlanta Braves as it was last year well, the, the the problem in New York, not only with those two, you can throw McGill in the mix, um, you know, and, and, and Cohen's got unlimited cash resources. Showalter's a great manager. So the Mets could be there if they can, you know, hold the fort here. Um, you know, they battled the snow elements in Colorado, split the doubleheader, got hammered in the nightcap yesterday. Uh, the interesting team here is the Phillies. And the Phillies, you know, they've blown two seven-run leads. Their bullpen's horrendous. I, I, you know, I thought, you know, in the start of the year, you got, you know, uh, uh, Han and, 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 and Familia, and you brought in Knable here, and that would work itself out. They were one win away from, you know, sweeping a four-game series in uh, Los Angeles uh, a, a week ago yesterday. And then, you know, standing here and, you know, uh, returning the favor yesterday, um, you know, was gratifying. But the Phillies got bats. They just don't have no back-end pitching, and their starters, other than Nolan Wheeler, you know, they become question marks. Yeah, that's definitely the problem with the Phillies. So we've had a lot of National League talk. We're going to get to some American League teams in terms of disappointments and surprises. But before we do that, some heated stuff going on this past weekend between the Yankees and the White Sox. A scrap fueled by some Tim Anderson and Josh Donaldson comments uh, for those who don't know what we're talking about, um, Donaldson referring to Tim Anderson as Jackie, as in Jackie Robinson. Anderson upset by it, accusing Donaldson of being racist, which has been fueled by Tony La Russa saying the same thing. Lots to break down on this. What are your initial thoughts? Well, if you start something and you basically uh, accept it because you put it out there, and then when people start calling you by that, uh, you know, he, he made the reference in 2018, Jackie Robinson. So now Josh calls him out on it and says, hey, Jackie, you know, a nice player, whatever. And now they, we, 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 we turn this into a, a, an overturn as a racist comment. You know, if, if, if you work with somebody and, 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 and you see a lady and you comment on the way she looks, you know, you, you're complimenting her. She, you know, but some people have hidden agendas. Some people want to take it to the point where, Hey, I don't want somebody to comment on it. Well, what the hell are you wearing a nice dress? And, you know, you, you, you're looking for comments on it because you wore it. 
So if, if Anderson makes this comment about Jackie Robinson and, and somebody refers to it, you know, they're just, you know, passing the phrase that he really initiated. So what, what's wrong with that? And now we got a, you know, a situation here where I think Tony LaRusse is the flames. Yeah, well, my big thing on it is, one, I looked into it a lot because at first I saw it and I was like, that's not right. John Donaldson should have kept his mouth shut. But then I looked into it a little more and I saw, one, Anderson, as you mentioned, had kind of coined that himself. So that's the first thing. The second thing is when Donaldson was with the Twins and playing at the AL Central and the White Sox and Twins met up a lot, apparently Donaldson and Anderson had talked like that before, joked about it, whatever it might be. And there was never an issue. So brings me to this season, Donaldson now with the Yankees. The two teams met up in Chicago uh, about seven to 10 days ago. And apparently there was a play where Donaldson put down a really hard tag on Anderson. And Anderson thought it was an aggressive tag. There was a little bit of beef, a little bit of word spoken back and forth. Nothing really came of it. And then this past weekend in New York, this is where the situation goes down where Donaldson calls him Jackie and it just explodes into this huge thing. Donaldson's a racist, this, that, the other. I'm not going to defend racism ever, but I don't think that's what Donaldson was doing. I think Donaldson was continuing on with a joke that him and Tim Anderson had already had. I think it's something that Donaldson was referring to because Anderson had already, as I mentioned, coined that himself and I think that it's definitely been blown out of proportion. The one thing I will say is I don't mind Tony La Russa adding fuel to the fire. I think it's something that actually kind of put a charge into his ball club, a team that had been underperforming so far this season, a team that really seemed to kind of rally around the situation in the clubhouse, kind of lit a fire under them. And I expect them to play much better baseball because of it. Well, if I was to sit here with you and go through 20 of the all-time shortstops in baseball, Tim Anderson wouldn't even be on my top 20. And that's not a knock. It's just that I've, I've seen through the years great shortstops, great players, and guys that go out there and, 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 and bust their ass and want to win. I don't know, you know, if I see that with this team, the Chicago White Sox, they've been underachieving at times this year. And, you know, I, I don't know if Tony La Russa has anything in him to get this team over the hump. Yeah, he was great in St. Louis. He was great in Oakland. Uh, but this is another go-round in Chicago. When the first go-round in Chicago, you know, uh, he really didn't do anything with the team, you know, to me. So when, when I look at, you know, if we want to rate shortstops and everything and, and, and look at this guy, Tim Anderson ain't even in my top 20 of all-time shortstops. I don't know where he has, where you have him. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's not rated as an all-time great or anything for me, but in today's game, he is one of the better shortstop. He's a very good player, five-tool type of talent. I do think this White Sox team is very good. La Russa got them um, into a great spot last year. I expect them to be back in the playoffs and eventually possibly run away with this division, even though the Twins are playing good baseball, and I'll give them credit for that. Another thing to kind of look at here is let's just take the side of, you know, maybe Donaldson did have some snideness behind his remarks. Do you really think he would go out and do that when he plays in a league and on a team that has a number of other black players or African-American players? However, um, the, the most polite, most politically correct way is I don't want to seem insensitive or racist by any means, but Donaldson has to play in a clubhouse with players of that race. And if he 
had racist undertones and things that he said, he wouldn't be gelling and getting along so well in this Yankees clubhouse. All I've heard about Donaldson is how hard-nosed, gritty, great teammate, great player, great presence he is. I don't think that would be the case and what we'd hear about him if he did have those racist undertones and things that he said. So I think everyone is kind of taking the this one thing that he has said and kind of turning him into some monster, um, something that he's never been other than a hard-nosed guy who might, you know, like some conflict here and there, but never anything that is remotely um, or overtly offensive. Well, not only that, once you see the New York faithful backing him up and booing Timmy Anderson, Timmy Anderson is the one with the egg on the face now because he's the one that, you know, people people aren't stupid. You can't pull the wool over people's face. If you proclaim you're somebody and, 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 and you've been doing it for now 40 years and people call you that when they get a hit or something, uh, then it's your own fault. Now, if, if he didn't refer to himself as Jackie, Robinson, then Josh Donaldson makes that comment. Then you can you can play in the race card in this thing. But when you stand here and, and like we said before, you you're the one. So the New York faithful ain't stupid. They were booing him the whole night yesterday, and then he hits the home run. Yeah, he he definitely did. He de- definitely did respond well to that. I'll give him that credit. Um, you know, yeah. he he came well, out the there and hit that big home out run. Of the stands real quick too. So he can pick it up and put it in his souvenir case and say, well, that I got this from New York. So you can see how the New York faithful treated it. They, they figured, you know what? Hey, you're the one that started this. We're not going to you know, rip our own guy on it. Now, if it was a problem, New York fans aren't stupid enough. They would have came in, in, in to, to Tim Anderson's defense, but they figured this whole thing out. Come on, Tim. You're the, you're the guy that started it. Now you want us to feel sorry for you. Yeah, that's my biggest issue with this, what you just said. And I'm not going to put much into what New York fans do because a lot of them are idiots. I mean, you remember earlier the season, the stuff yeah. going on with Miles Straw. They're not necessarily the uh, the poster boys for for being good, polite fans. So uh, I'm not even going to look into that. But while we're on the subject of the Yankees, I think we should talk about Aaron Judge. I mean, I know it's somewhat old news because it happened before the season began. I'm sure you've talked about it a lot on your shows. I've talked about it on a number of my shows. We haven't gone to talk about it yet. And the situation is pretty clear. Judge is an elite talent. He's the face of that franchise right now. He's having an MVP caliber year as we speak. But he did turn down a contract extension, a pretty fair offer. Not an incredible offer, but a very fair offer by the Yankees before the season began. He said he doesn't want to discuss in-season. So Judge is technically going to hit the open market this year. Now, will he actually hit the open market and start getting tons of offers from other teams? Will the Yankees lock him up? I think that's the big question. Well, the key here is I know Aaron Judge, you know, is a mainstay in New York. You know, and he's done wonders there. But when I look at Aaron Judge, is he in a Juan Soto uh, 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 a bar? Is he on a, a Bryce Harper bar? And I'm saying to myself, I, I don't, I don't quite put him that. Now the Washington Nationals are a bunch of idiots, and I'll put that out there because they don't even want to give this guy 375 million or whatever he wants to lock up a, a, a young stud like him, the next Bryce Harper. I don't think you Soto know. wants to be there, to be honest, Mark. I actually just released an article this morning about how Soto should be traded, and he should be traded as early as this season because I don't think he wants to be there. Yes, he has two-plus years of team control left, but they're not going to be competitive 
during that time, and they might not be competitive for another five-plus years. I'm not sure he wants to stay around in a place where he has no chance to win again. I know he already won one very early in his career. I think it was 2019, but Washington is not looking like a team that's going to be competing for a championship anytime soon, and there's a lot of teams out there that can and will pay him that are competitive now and will be competitive by the time that new deal that he does get kicks in, so I don't even know if it's about Washington not willing to re-sign him as much as it's about Juan Soto probably wanting a new start somewhere else on a more competitive team. Well, when you look like the Montreal Expos and you don't want to spend to surround him with some talent there, of course, maybe then he wants to go. But if you're the Washington Nationals and, and you're Mike Rizzo sitting there, you know, get, get, get this thing, build some talent around him. You know, this is a team, you're, you're right, three years removed from a World Series and, and they look like a bottom feeder. And they are a bottom feeder, Mark. And the problem for them is it's not getting any easier. The Mets are only going to always be competitive now with Steve Cohen and that money. The Braves have a very good young core. The Phillies have a lot of talent, and they are surely going to get better before they get worse. And the Marlins are coming. It's a slow process, but they have great pitching. Washington could be a fourth or fifth place team for five to seven years now. And yes, Soto's only 23 years old, but does he really want to play his prime in a in a team where he's in last place and where there's nothing around him. And his, his performance this year is suffering because of the team around him. Well, here's the deal, uh, Lou, and you bring up interest in points, but in Pittsburgh, they didn't sign Barry Bonds and we were set back for, I don't know how many years we, we dodged the, uh, the Bobby Bonilla bullet, but we couldn't dodge when we lost Drabeck and uh, Bonds the following year, but you're seeing what's happening in Pittsburgh. And I don't want to, you know, Stand here and act bias on a situation that I think is good in Pittsburgh, but we signed to Brian Hayes and, and, and you know, Brian Reynolds, young studs there in Pittsburgh, a cornerstone to go along with our good pitching. We got Henry Davis, the, the, the number one draft pick from last year. So, you know, when I when I hear, you know, well, you know, they don't want to spend money or they don't but want Mark, to do this. And, but Mark, you can't compare the caliber of player to those guys in Soto or the amount of money. You can pay, you can pay Brian. Uh, Brian Hayes four times his contract and Brian Reynolds two times his contract and it still might not equal what Juan Soto's going to get. So I don't I don't think it's really a fair comparison. I understand the idea of well, walking up what, the young studs. Kind of but Soto yeah, is in a world of his own. Not only because of his talent but because he's only 23 years old. So what kind of message do you send to the, the Washington D.C. faithful is if you don't sign a guy like this if you don't surround him with talent it, it, to make a guy happy, surround him with talent and give him what he wants. He's a stud. He's only like 23, 24, 25 years old. But what message do you give your uh, uh, fan base when you, you let this guy walk, you bring in prospects? Who's hanging around watching a, a team in Washington, D.C., looking up at the Braves, Marlins, Mets, and Phillies? But they're going to be looking up at those teams with or without Juan Soto. They're better off at least getting something for Juan Soto, potentially a huge haul. I mean, probably a groundbreaking trade. We're talking three or four top five prospects from an organization and probably some MLB-ready talent. And sure, it might be one step backwards at first, but it could be three or four steps forward over time. Um, And that's sometimes what teams have to do. Yeah, that comparison we could use to the Angels. For years, they hung on to, you know, Mike Trout, And people were saying, get rid of him to get a long haul from the Yankees or somebody like that. They decided to hold on to him, surrounded him with Rendon, surrounded him with Otani, 
blew out Pujols here, let Walsh have an access to it, and brought in a high-priced manager in Madden, and look what the Angels have done. So they 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 were in the same situation the Nationals were, treading water, Trout not getting to the playoffs, but they decided, okay, let's surround them, you know, with some talent around here, and look at the Angels. The Angels aren't going anywhere. I think it's a different situation, a different stage in their careers, and a completely different different divisional landscape we're talking about one team in the astros at this point who are standing in the angels way we're talking about four teams that are already better than the nationals and continuing to get better um and that's kind of where it differs also it was trout who decided to sign a big extension with the angels that's also one thing you have to remember trout decided i want to be here for the long haul i'm going to sign this deal soto doesn't appear to want to be there for the long haul and that's what it comes down to again it's not about whether washington Washington is willing to serve up the money. It's about whether Soto wants to be there. And this is going to be his one big opportunity at a very young age to go where he wants for the amount of money that he wants. Because even if he's traded, that doesn't mean he has to sign where he gets traded to either. Uh, so those are multiple things to consider. But we got a little bit off topic because this did start with right. Judge. And I like what you said. I don't think Judge is in that Harper or Soto conversation at this point. But I don't think it's due to a lack of production or skill. It's due to the injuries and the injury history of Aaron Judge. You put Judge's 162-game average together and it matches up to anybody. The issue has been him staying on the field. Now, last year he did it. So far this year, he's done it. Perhaps he's, you know, I know he's done a lot, invested a lot in his own um, training regimen and gone into yoga and all these different things to kind of help his body stay fresh and be healthier. And so far, it looks good. The question remains, let's say he stays healthy. Let's say he doesn't stay healthy this year. How much is this guy worth? Is he worth $38, $40 million a year, or is he more worth what the Yankees initially offered? Now, at this point, it looks like he's going to be worth a lot more and get a lot more. If it's not from New York, it's certainly going to be from a team like the Angels or the Dodgers or the Giants or the other team in New York. All these teams have the money to do it. He wants to be a Yankee for life. He has said so multiple times. The Yankees, in my opinion, would be absolutely insane to let this guy go, even if it does cost them $400 million. Well, if he goes in the National League, and you know where I'm going with this, I think the National League, the pitching is much better than the American League. I think you got uh, uh, the unbelievable pitching across the board with the Dodgers, the Padres, the Giants. You can throw the Brewers, Cardinals, the Mets, um, you know, the Braves. Um, I think, you know, and I don't want to knock this, and, and this could be another conversation for, you know, when we get back from Memorial uh, Week, but I, I look at the American League and the pitching. I don't, he, he can crush the hell out of the ball in the American League, but I don't think the pitching, I think if he comes to the National League and he comes to the Dodgers or the Giants or one of these teams, his, he's going to have a hell of a time getting adjusted for uh, quite a few months to National League pitching. I don't know what you're thought. I mean, it is a possibility. Now, he does play in a very good division. Tampa has great pitching. The Blue Jays have a hell of a rotation. Uh, Boston's pitching not so good yet this year. And obviously, Baltimore is pitching, although this year it's actually been quite good, much better than in the past. Um, it, traditionally, since Judge has been in the league, hasn't been all that great. So I can see where you're going with that. Of course, if he goes to the Dodgers or Giants, he doesn't face the, that rotation. But he does have to face a number of other um, tough customers i think if the yankees are willing to pay judge he stays but i don't think he's taking any sort of hometown discount nor should he or be expected to well and then you got another guy there with john carlos Stanton that you gave him the brooklyn bridge and 
Statue of Liberty and everything. What do you do with that guy? Um, well, I know. don't think there's an issue there. I think a lot of people blow that out of proportion. For one, Stanton's not making a lot of money compared to what guys are getting now and what he would get now if he hit the open market. Secondly, they gave up almost nothing to get him. They basically got him for free. And it hasn't been an issue because he can DH a lot, obviously, but he's been playing a lot more right field. The Yankees have utilized judge and center. Um, they're doing a very good job of getting all these guys in and not kind of wearing them down. So I don't think having judge and Stanton together is any problem at all. Um, it really, it more so comes down to is, is baby Steinbrenner uh, going to be willing to go over the luxury tax, like his counterpart on the other side of the city in New York, Stephen Cohen, because the Yankees clearly, they have all the resources they could possibly need. Um, and I understand wanting to spend carefully, but we're not talking about an average player here. When it comes to signing your superstars, I think you have to ante up and give up big time money, whether it goes over the luxury tax or not. Um, the Yankees will not be as good w without Aaron Judge, and it's as simple as that. Well, not only that, and you bring up Steve Cohen, I think he's going to get one of these three guys, whether it be Judge, if he decides to stay in New York and the Yankees don't pony up, the Mets will pony up, or the Mets will get Soto. See, that's where I see that's where I have to disagree. Could Soto in free agency decide to go there? Sure, but I do not see the Nationals trading Juan Soto within that division. Well, yeah, and that's and then the other one that could be going to New York because I think he's wearing out his welcome out here is Cody Bellinger, and there's been talk of him going to New York. Yeah, the difference is that he's no longer a superstar. He had that superstar season, uh, but he's he's the type of guy that might have to sign a one of those one-year bridge deals of like $10, 12000000 million and earn himself back a big-time contract. Because I don't see anyone forking over a big-time deal worth big money for, for a lot of years based on the way he's been performing the last year and a half. Yeah, good point there across the board. All right, well, let's move things over to some of these surprising and disappointing teams so far. The one surprise for me right now has to be the Minnesota Twins. Uh, they're a team that last year was supposed to be good and were not. They were dreadful. This year, uh, before the lockout, seemed like they were going to have another tough season. But then all of a sudden, they acquire Sonny Gray. They make the trade with Donaldson, bringing in Urshela and Sanchez, giving them fresh starts. They sign Carlos Correa. And they're off to a pretty darn good start here to the season they lead this division they might very well be the second best team in this division i don't think they are better than the chicago white Sox, but you have to be impressed buxton when playing is excellent jorge polanco a great player we know carlos correa kind of brings that winning attitude Luis arise is an under um valued player sanchez still terrible defensively but can can make a difference uh geo Rochella, same thing they have this young kid jose miranda who tore up the minors last year they Gave Royce Lewis a cup of coffee. He'll be back up. So they have a pretty solid team. I'm not sure they hold on to this divisional lead, but I do think they're a team that have to be considered as a playoff contender, a team that can get to the playoffs this season, assuming that they continue to stay healthy and play some pretty good baseball. Well, I think you're right. They're, they're a big surprise there. And uh, Rocco Baldelli, you know, and that whole crew. I mean, that's, that's amazing uh, what they're doing there. And, Picking up, you know, some of these uh, the guys that, that, that compensate too, you know, uh, through the through the uh, trades and and what they've done there, and, and I think that's completely huge. But the White Sox are going to rule that division. Kansas City, Detroit, 
uh, Cleveland trying to find themselves. But my big surprise has to be the Milwaukee Brewers. Best start in a 40-game stretch to start a season in franchise history. I think what Craig Council has done there is simply amazing. I put him up there with, you know, uh, Bambi's Brewers in in, in 82. Uh, They got pitching. they They got horses in the pen. And this is a team that's dangerous. People can say, well, they're not really a surprise, but if you if you if you're 26 and 15 now and you got the Cardinals killed down, this is a surprise here. Well, you know, the the the, the hold down the Cardinals, a lot of people see when, when the Reds gave up the farm and, and, and everybody, they they looked like a single A team. And the Reds were you know, a pretty damn good team the last couple of years. And everybody was talking about what the Reds can do. And then the Cubs had fire sales. So they've kind of flip-flopped that thing around. And the Brewers have been kind of in the mix here. And we see them in the playoffs and they get beat by the Dodgers in a grueling series and stuff like that. But Lost to the Braves last year. But yeah, I mean, the the landscape of this division with three really weak teams doesn't make the it makes the Brewers success really not surprising at all as I mentioned I think I was actually on mute in the studio so people probably heard silence for like five seconds they were great last year they're good again now it's really not a surprise I mean I like their story I think they're a good team but I don't I don't consider it to be a surprise really at all well in, in in more ways than one I think if the Brewers take this up a notch and they win a World Series then people are going to be surprised. Like they weren't, Correct. you know, everybody thought the Braves were going to be a good team. Uh, and then, they, they, but they never saw the Braves coming to win the world series. You know, we, we've all talked about the Dodgers doing something. They finally won one in, in, in 2020. Nobody saw the Washington nationals in, in 2019. Uh, you know, in, in that one of those uh, pandemic years, nobody saw the Marlins coming. So every year there's a, there's a team that, yeah, they're 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 kind of treading water. You kind of see them, and and then when they win the World Series or they do something special, then you kind of go, "Where I didn't see that coming." Yeah, if the Brewers if the Brewers, if the Brewers win the National League Championship Series and go to a World Series, then I will be surprised. Now, are they a good team and and could they do it? Absolutely, but I do think um, I, I do think they need to take that next step. It's I'm I'm more interested in talking about some of these disappointments. Now I had the Jays on this initially, but I'm not sure I could say it's a disappointment. They're still 22 and 19, and in any other division, they'd probably be a game or two back. They just happen to be uh, seven back right now of the Yankees, which is far from insurmountable. Um, so I don't necessarily consider them a disappointment, but I certainly expected more from them. I expected them to be the favorite in this division, and they still might be. It's a long season. But in this division, there is a disappointment. And although they're playing much better as of late, 8-2 and two over their past 10 games, albeit against pretty weak opponents, Boston Red Sox are a bit of a disappointment to date at 19-22. and 22. Lots of time for them to get back into it as well. Uh, 10 games back, sure, but not that far back of a postseason spot. The offense, we know it's great. I just have a lot of worries and question marks about their starting pitching and their bullpen. Can they beat bad teams or average teams? Yes. How do they fare against the good teams, though? That's where I think the Red Sox are going to be in trouble. Well, if you want to look for a disappointment, worse off than the Boston Red Sox would have to be the Seattle Mariners. Oh, yeah. They, they this, were this next on a, my list, so I'm glad you yeah, brought them up. Yeah, this is a team. Yeah. This is a, a team that everybody was had some aspirations about and everything. 
you look at these guys and they're battling Oakland and Texas going the other way while the Angels and Astros are going, uh, you know, challenging each other. Now, I know it's early. We haven't hit Memorial Day and everything. But the the the, the, the uh, what's going on in Seattle is a big disappointment in more ways than one. Young squad brought in a couple guys from the Weds, you know, and Soros, and and, 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 and and they're just not doing anything. And that's that's a, that's to me, you know, uh, it, it falls on management there. Uh, it does, it does, and I mean, I do think they expected more out of in Seattle of guys like Kalenic. Uh, Logan Gilbert's been good, but George Kirby, not so much yet, although he's a highly touted prospect. Um, remember, Seattle wasn't that great to begin last year either, and they kind of came on strong um, as the season progressed. Now, they've been without Mitch Hanniger, who had a hell of a season last year. They're getting Kyle Lewis back. We'll see if he can stay healthy. They did lose Kyle Seeger, who was kind of the heart and soul of that team. Um, so they are going through a bit of a transition, but they do have the pieces to be a competitive team. And I know Texas made some improvements, but I don't think they have the pitching. We know Oakland's not very good. I don't want to count the Seattle Mariners out of this yet at all, but they do have it in tough because the Astros aren't going anywhere and the Angels do look for real because they finally have some pitching with Detmers and Sandoval and Thor all there behind Shohei Otani. I think the Angels are for real as well. So I do think Seattle's in tough. I am surprised by their slow start, but I'm not ready to count them out yet. Just like I'm not ready to count out the Boston Red Sox because of the talent they have, the Red Sox just have it a little tougher because they have three very good teams to contend with as opposed to two within their own division. And I do think that unlike Seattle, I don't think Seattle necessarily has any clear weaknesses. I would make an argument that the Red Sox bullpen and back end of their rotation is a big weakness for them. Well, and not only that, I think it's the beginning of the end in Oakland. I think this team will be out of Oakland within three years. I think losing Manea, Chapman, Olsen, uh, in, in, in yeah, Melvin. but 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 that's but that's not really as relevant in terms of how Seattle or Boston's going to do because you can make exactly. the argument that the Orioles are although the Orioles are a more competitive team than the A's they they certainly are and if the Orioles were in another division they might even win seventy five games um, but stuck in that AL East they're stuck both divisions was my point is they both have that basement team to beat up on um, and just like the NL East has the Nationals and the NL West at some point will have the D-backs and Rockies who won't continue to play at 500 and the NL Central has the Pirates, Cubs, and Reds and the AL Central, although I did expect more from the Tigers and Royals, they've proven to be teams that can be beaten up on as well. Um, so, I mean, that's that's where you're going to make or break it. When you play your good teams, you're hoping you go 500. Maybe, you know, you win 11 of the 19 games or something like that. It's beating up on those really bad teams. And if you don't beat up on those really bad teams, you're just not going to have success. Because it's one thing to play okay against the teams that are tough. But if you can't beat the teams you're expected to beat and supposed to beat, that's where your season goes down the drain. Well, not only that, when you looked at 2019 with the Dodgers, when they waltzed that division by like 23 games or whatever, and Washington came in there and beat them in their own backyard. I think what you looked at was a team that, you know, and, and I continue to say this about the Dodgers, and I don't want to harp on it too much and get off track, but this is a team, if you're if you're not tested during the year, you will find yourself tested when the playoffs come around because you're going to find teams that have been playing playoff baseball six months of the year compared to you playing playoff baseball one month of the year. 
Well, that's that's a very fair point, but I don't know if anyone's running away with any of these divisions this year. I mean, the Brewers and and, and Cardinals are going to run away from the rest, but they're going to be tight. Uh, Astros and Angels should be tight. The Rays, Yankees, Jays, maybe Boston should be tight. The Dodgers are going to be chased or chasing the Padres all year, Giants sticking around, and the Mets, although they have the big lead now, you know the Braves are coming. You just know the Braves are going to play better than they are right now. So um, I don't know if that's going to be the case this year where someone's just running away with things and not playing meaningful baseball in in September and going into October. But I understand your point, and it's well taken. Yeah, if I'm the Phillies, the first thing I'm doing is going to the general store and unloading the guys I have in the bullpen and picking up some fine pitching. I don't care if it even costs me prospects because if the Phillies can address that bullpen – they got the bats to compete with anybody in both leagues. Yeah, well, we've been saying that since Joe Girardi got the job in Philadelphia. And no matter what combination of bullpen pieces they have, it just doesn't seem to work. Um, and yeah, that's great. And the Phillies will try to do that. But there's a lot of other teams out there that will be looking for those same things and those same pieces who have a better farm system and more to trade than the Phillies do. Good point. God, well, what a show! Yeah, what a show, man. I mean, it's it's like we haven't had all this time off. We're uh, we're crushing it here today, and yeah. uh, getting towards the end. So let me know if you have any final thoughts on what we've talked about, or really just anything else you did want to bring up before we uh, wrap this baby up. Well, I'll tell you the two big pieces that were instrumental in the uh, off season that's going to help two franchises tremendously, and we already see it. You got Melvin in San Diego managing, getting rid of that Jace Tingler that, that kind of lost the whole clubhouse, didn't know what the hell he was doing. And then finally in New York, Buck Showalter. This guy's the next coming of uh, Terry Collins. I know he's a tactician of sorts and everything, but he's kind of mellowed over the years. These two franchises, as long as these two managers are there, I'm not worried about these two teams year in and year out getting to the playoffs. No, I think Showalter's a hell of a manager, and he was definitely the right choice by the New York Mets. No no question. Yep. So that's my final thoughts on this great show. All right, buddy. Well, it was a blast being back for Intentional Balk, and I want to thank everyone for tuning in to Intentional Balk. Lou Landers, Mark Mancini, have a great week or two weeks because we'll be off for Memorial Day. But we'll be back in two weeks' time for more great baseball talk on Intentional Balk. We'll catch you next time.